0: a house is made of wood and stone but only love can make a home welcome to the repco light home improvement show helping you make your home into one you'll love even more on news radio wood 1300 and 106.9 fm well good morning everybody happy saturday happy new year
1: yeah, this is right? our first show after. Well, we had a rerun, but this is the first. This is the first
2: one that we're trying on, <laughs> right? <laughs> for that the we're year,
1: present for. Yeah, yeah, yeah! yeah. Happy New Year! <laughs>
2: Happy New Year! We've got all kinds of really good stuff planned for the show, and we're going to tell you about that in a minute. But first off, do you do New Year's resolutions? Is that a thing for you? <sighs> If you don't have a couple, I've got a couple picked for you. Oh,
1: good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't really do like specific resolutions Mm because I feel like that's just. This You're isn't... setting yourself up for failure, yeah. which is why, yeah. really, we chose that episode to rerun last week.
2: Right. It was all about failure. If anybody tuned in, yeah. And if you missed our Christmas episode, I don't know when it aired. We were told that it on was going to air- Well, on Christmas, yes. But we didn't know what time. <laughs> Not at the normal time. And normally, we just kind of do another rerun. Right. Because who's listening on Christmas? It is a fun episode. It is. Right? Yes. I think it's one of our best- it has nothing to do with home improvement. No, anything.
1: nothing to do with home improvement. Everything to do with Christmas.
2: Yeah, you should check it out. You can find the podcast online at RepcoLite.com and just check out that episode if you missed it. And I th-
1: Failure, the Failure episode too. That one's if really good. you missed that one both times it's played, it's really good.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we did last week. Today, we've got all kinds of stuff planned. We're going to be talking about the Old Farmer's Almanac. It's a topic that Haley pitched.
1: You were skeptical, of course, little, because it was my pitch. A little
2: skeptical, but <laughs> (laughs) It's really, really fun. And we're going to make an argument that you need to have one. It's eight bucks. You've got to go buy one. Everyone should have one. Really fun. We're also going to be in the studio with Dean Veltman from Veltman Painting talking about kitchen cabinets. Painting kitchen cabinets, what you need to do if you're going to tackle it yourself, and what you need to do if you're going to hire somebody to do it. But right now, let's talk about a cool little gadget that I kind of stumbled into on accident. Over the holidays here at the Christmas party at my mom and dad's house right, was the Sunday before Christmas, I believe. I'm getting older, so who knows if the dates are correct, together. right? Everything blends together. <laughs> it could have been
1: last year. It could who have knows? been.
2: Who knows? But anyway, we're getting ready to go to church on that Sunday morning and I get a phone call from dad, which was strange because he's normally driving. So my first thought was they're in a ditch somewhere oh, you know, or whatever, you know, because yeah. that's where I go. That's yeah. where my brain Worst goes. case scenario. Clearly somebody is no longer mm-hmm. with us. Which one is it? Anyway, it turns out everything was fine. They had gone to church with my brother-in-law and, and my sister from Ann Arbor who are visiting for the party. And they'd gone away in Jean and Phil's vehicle and mom and dad left their keys in the house and they left their garage door opener in their cars in the garage. And of course, their house is locked up like Fort Knox.
1: Well, it is Zealand. It's
2: and a condo Association. So you really got to keep your eye out. It's
1: a real sketchy. It's a
2: sketchy area. <laughs> so they wondered if I could get down to their house before I went to church and get it opened. Otherwise, they're going to be standing outside waiting to get in till later. So So you were
1: tasked with the big job.
2: I was. And being the good son that I am, I did it. Well. I debated.
1: Applause. (laughs) I went
2: through the house and rummaged and looked for (laughs) presents and stuff and made sure I got the best stuff, but I did let him in the house. Anyway, that was basically the end of the story. We had the party. Great festivities. I, of course, was the hit. I think I was okay. the main star of the party for everybody who's wondering. You're
1: the star of the party.
2: That's important to me.
1: Yeah, no, it's important to me too. I like to win the party.
2: Oh, see, and I'm just making words cuz I'm never the star of the party. Oh, lots I of lots of motion like and kids when that's all happening and that's what mm-hmm. happens at these parties, I literally shut down. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel myself retreating into myself.
1: Well, yeah, because your family has a lot of kids. I would probably do the same at that point. Yeah.
2: So I'm never the star of the party unless I take credit on the radio. And I should have just left it at that. Yeah,
1: no and one would have known. Instead, I <laughs> went back the
2: other way. Anyway, a couple days later, I stopped by mom and dad's and dad is all excited to show me this new toy, this new thing that he got. And he's got a little box and he's carrying it around, you know, as mom's talking about something else. And I can tell dad wants center stage for a second. The minute he gets a moment, he whips the little box out. And it's a Chamberlain MyQ smart garage door system. And it's something that he paid 20 bucks for. He got it on a a special. It's normally 20 to 30. So even then, very reasonably priced. He installed it in the garage in about 10 minutes you know, a couple of days after his little get locked out of the garage event. And now with this system, he can open the garage door from anywhere with just a smartphone.
1: How wow. cool is that? And it, I mean, 20 to 30 bucks, that's not a giant investment. It's not like some great giant system that he's got to install. It took 10 minutes. 10 minutes.
2: Yeah. And huh. the reason they did it is because Phil and Jean, my brother-in-law and sister, were visiting again, like we said, for Christmas. And they're the ones who had shuttled mom and dad away from the house without all the tools to get back into the house. So maybe they felt an air of responsibility <laughs> right, yeah, it for that. was their fault. But Phil had installed years back, about a year and a half ago, at his house, this same system. And he did it because his oldest daughter, she had not started driving yet. So she was getting rides home from school. And sometimes she'd forget her key. Kids do that. Kids do that.
1: I do that still. Right.
2: Adults do that. Older people sometimes leave their (laughs) garage door remotes. Everyone forgets their key. (laughs) I never forget my key, Haley.
1: I don't believe that for a second.
2: (laughs) Anyway, he had installed one of these so she could be let into the house when the need arose just from the comfort of his office or wherever. So he really liked it. And in fact, right after he installed it, he had another incident where they went on vacation and he got a phone call from the neighbor saying the water main had broken you know, outside the street. And everyone street.
1: had water in their basement. Yeah, all the
2: neighbors have water in the basements. Ugh. Do you want me to check your house out? Well, yeah, they're on vacation. We need somebody to tell us what's going on. They didn't have a keypad on the door. They didn't have a key that they'd given to anybody, but they could open the door from the road. The lady went into the house, checked everything over. It's good. And then they were able to shut the garage door again and make sure that it was shut and have peace of mind on the rest of their vacation.
1: No, I really like it for that reason. Al- I mean, that reason alone, I don't have keys that I've given to neighbors. I don't know. I well, never I, even really thought about it, to be honest. Right,
2: there's that aspect of it. And from the point of view that I have, it's, I don't particularly want to have somebody's key or somebody's <laughs> keypad combination.
1: I do It's too much responsibility. I've I, already got my parents' key. I can't <laughs> take any more keys. <laughs> I
2: know what happens and how easy it is to lose things or misplace things. Yeah. I don't want to be everybody's first line of suspicion when their Yeti coolers come, or something like that, right? I don't want that.
1: Well, Dan (laughs) was in here last week. (laughs) Now, technically,
2: they could let me in, and I could still take all that stuff.
1: True. But at least least you don't have the
2: key. Right, right. So there's all of that cool stuff. But what I was thinking, as... You know, I was mulling this over because I thought it's definitely something to talk about on the show. How many other things can we use this for? And right off the bat, I instantly thought about every winter I have to have my sprinklers winterized. Sure. And so when that day comes, I've got to leave my garage door open. And I hate that because my garage door... Is not, or my garage door's fine. It's the garage that blows. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's full of junk. and it's, it's not a
1: clean space.
2: No, it's really embarrassing when everybody can ride by yeah. and see my garage. But I have to leave it open so they can get at the system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully they shut it when they leave.
1: Right, yeah. That's the other thing is that you don't actually know if they've shut it when they've left.
2: With this, I would know. I could open it when I need to and make sure that it's shut when they leave.
1: Well, yeah, and actually it'll alert you too if your garage door has been open for an extended period of time. Let's say that happens or the kids come home and open the garage door, it's been open for 30 minutes now, it's gonna tell you that it's been open and then you can shut it.
2: You can make a schedule, you can program a schedule into this device and it will open the garage at a certain time.
1: It'll open automatically too when your car gets to a certain distance from it, it'll automatically open for you, shut behind you.
2: there are a lot of different cool things that this system will do. It's definitely something to check out. It's the Chamberlain MyQ smart garage door system. And we'll put a link in the show notes. Like we said, 20 to 30 bucks, 10 minute install, and from there you go. So you're many golden. uses. So many uses. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be in the studio with Dean Veltman from Veltman Painting talking about kitchen cabinets. A lot of great information whether you're going to tackle the job yourself or hire somebody to get it done. All of that info is coming up in just a minute. Stick around.
0: Helping you turn your house into your dream home. This is the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, presented by Benjamin Moore on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM.
2: Well, Haley, if you ask 10 people about their kitchen cabinets, you're probably going to find out that seven of them, maybe more, would like to refinish or replace those kitchen cabinets?
1: Yeah, I'd raise my hand.
2: It's definitely something that we can do. It's a DIY project. We've talked about it on the show a bunch of times, you know, with the right tools and the right know Right, know-how, the right paint. The right patience. The yes. Right amount of patience.
1: The right patience. That's a good one. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, do you have the right patience?
1: That's what I think I'm lacking right now and why I haven't started painting my cabinets. Okay. Because I don't think I've got the right amount of patience for the project.
2: Do you have the right amount of patience to work with me? I thought that's where you were going to go okay. at first. <laughs> <laughs> that one you're doing okay on so, so far. far so, so far, so, so good. good. Yeah. It is something, you know, kitchen cabinet repaints, it's something that we all can do. But it really is fun sometimes just to, you know, do a thought experiment Mm -hmm. and imagine somebody else doing it. Well, right now we're in the studio with Dean Veltman from Veltman Painting. And among other things, refinishing kitchen cabinets is just one of the things they do. Dean, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, first, before we get into this whole kitchen cabinet thing and talking about what that process looks like, why don't you talk a little bit about Veltman Painting itself? You know, how long have you guys been around and what do you do besides kitchen cabinet stuff?
3: Okay. Um, I started painting back when I was in college. So that was way back in summers, starting in 1997. And then full time painting started in 2000 after I left grad school. And so I worked for Faber Painting back then. And then it was around 2014 when I launched my own company. So I've been self employed since 2014. So we do basically. We'll do light commercial, but our main focus is uh, most things residential. you know, We've done some new construction. Uh, we don't do a ton of that, we do, but um, our main thing is interior and exterior residential, whether it's a remodel. You need to need a couple rooms painted, you need a kitchen repainted, convert all your trim, kinda of whatever you do to your typical home except wallpaper.
2: Like, all right. Oh no, we, wall-
3: we do wall not wallpaper. install wallpaper. <laughs> <But> we <laughs> remove it if we <laughs> have to. All right. To paint it or, you know, to sure. paint the walls, but not a huge fan of that process either. But uh, yeah, it's gotta be done not Gotta be done. So what's
2: the size of the crew?
3: It varies quite a bit from time right now we're smaller than we typically are, just labor shortage has been rough like it has for a lot of people. But yeah. um, in the summer we've been up to 20 employees, but usually we're 12 to 15 in the summer and then year round like right now it's me and a couple guys and then but sometimes it's like 3 to 5 it just kind of depends on the year and where we're
2: at. All right, and all right.
3: So you'll tackle outside stuff too you yep, said. Yep, we do exterior stuff too. Yep.
1: How far out is someone scheduling for an exterior right now?
3: We actually book out pretty far for exteriors cuz um, that's one of the new construction things we do is we do some very high end exteriors, and so those you know schedule out of ways. um, we do some condo complexes, so those schedule out of ways, and then we fit in homeowner homes around that. so at this time of the year, I mean, I could be like eighty ninety percent booked for wow. exterior season already. you know for us, like if you call in May, we're probably telling you it depends what kind of weather we have in the fall, yeah, you know, so for us you, you know it, you kind of have to get on the schedule early because. It's hard to predict Michigan weather in the fall and how much you're going to be able to fit in.
2: Well, we've talked about that before. It's definitely, you know, if you've got a project coming up, start making those phone calls right now. Exactly. And and get on the books. All right. I do want to talk about kitchen cabinets, but honestly, I'm stuck on something. You went to grad school. You did all this stuff. What did you go to grad school for?
3: Uh, Fisheries biology was what I was going to school for and just ended up moving on from that for long story, various reasons, and went back into painting because I... Knew what to do with that already, and I worked for the guy that I used to work for in the summers before I went to grad school. And, you well, know, I really, must have
2: liked it. well, I get really interested because I've got college-age kids, yep. and one of them chose college, one went into the trades. Mm-hmm. And when I was in school, it was a real big deal. You know, you don't go into the trades. Right. You know, that's yep. that's. What do you feel about it? I mean, you've got to feel great about the decision.
3: Yeah, I do. I mean, at the time, I struggled with it. I mean, you know, right. I mean, kind of like you said, I mean, people kind of look down at, you know, you got to get that college education and right. why would you go into the trades and stuff. And, you know, when I left grad school, I mean, a, a bachelor's in biology, you really can't do much with that. I mean, at that point, there was literally PhDs in that field taking right. $12, $13 an hour tech jobs that required a bachelor's because, you know, it's a very specialized thing and stuff. So yeah, obviously crazy. with a bachelor's not much you can do with that. So, you know, and so I went back to painting because I knew it and, uh, you know, and I learned a lot and, uh, you know, it's not the path I expected my life to go by any means. No, sure. But, you know, it's, you know, God's definitely blessed that and I've really enjoyed running a business and the various things that come along with that. I mean, it can be stressful, definitely, you know, but it's, it's been good overall, though. Yeah,
2: I think it's great. I know my son, uh, the electrician, mm-hmm. a- apprentice electrician. Is just loving the choice. Yeah. Loving the choice. My daughter, who's gone to college, is loving that choice. So, hey.
1: yeah. She'll well. love it for now. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it all shakes out in the end. That's all exactly. I think all there's
3: right. something that can be said, too, for, uh, you know, like even for people that do are on that college track, I think it's still good to learn something with your hands at some point. You know, I think there's something that you learn about a work ethic that you really only can learn in a manual labor field.
2: I think I completely agree <laughs> with that. You know, it's and you're going to learn it one way or another. You're going to mm-hmm. learn it on the fly when you have your own home and everything's right. falling yeah, apart true. around you. Or you can learn some of these things yep. ahead of time and at least be a
3: little prepared. Yep. And it can give you a backup plan, too. I mean, life doesn't always go the way... You expect it to go. I mean, it it didn't for me and it gives me something that, you know, it's always good to have a plan B or another option.
1: Well, and I think it like changes a level of confidence as a person knowing how things work or how to fix something, mm -hmm. how to do something with your hands. I really think instills a level of confidence that you don't get from other things in your life.
3: Yeah, I can see that. I do wish I, I'm not by nature a handy person. So, you know, to be in my own trade Mm -hmm. is good, but like, Kind of like how a carpenter with a cot gun is one of the most frightening things you can see as a painter. (laughs) Me with a miter saw, not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, that's fair. I need to stay in my lane.
1: (laughs) It's good to know that, though. I wish I
2: even knew what lane I was supposed to be in. I just got my blinker on both ways trying to figure out which way to land. We're in the studio with Dean Veltman from Veltman Painting, and we were going to talk about kitchen cabinets, and we kind of got derailed thanks to me. But I think it was a good conversation. Yes. But let's let's make that transition now abruptly into kitchen cabinets. Like we said at the beginning, it's something that homeowners can tackle on their own, DIYers can do. Yeah. But it is fun to think about having somebody come in and do that. Yeah. So, Dean, why don't you talk us through the process? And I'm going to make it easy for you because I'm going to play the role of a customer because my kitchen is 80s oak right now.
3: Like so many kitchens out there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Almost everyone one we redo. Right.
2: I hate it. <laughs> I don't really want to jump into the time involved with the work. Right, exactly. We're mm-hmm. at the beginning of the process for me. Okay. What do I need to know and do, and how do we get this whole thing started? Okay.
3: Are you looking more from the standpoint of do you, if you're going to tackle it yourself or if I I'm going to do it for you? I am not
2: going to tackle it myself, hypothetically, hypothetically. for this conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. All right. <laughs> I would like you to walk me through what, what I need to okay. do if I'm hiring you. All right.
3: Typically, the first thing that you need to figure out if you're going to hire me you know, obviously we go through the estimate phase, but the big thing is plan ahead for your hardware. Because hmm. we need to know are you reusing those holes or not, you know, just so we plan ahead. You know, you don't want us to get done with the cabinets and then, oh, I'm decided I'm gonna change my hardware styles. Right. You know, or just have that known first. Because
2: that happened.
3: Yes, it has. Oh, I bet that's a fun one. You know, it's just, and, and usually then they'll adapt or something like that, or maybe you get lucky and they can make the single pole work with the double pole and the location's sure. not, you know, too bad of a location or something like that. But So focus know. on the hardware. I, yeah. th- I never would have thought of so that. So just think ahead. And otherwise for timing too, a lot of people think, that you want paint to go first. I always prefer paint to go last. My theory is your countertop guys are going to mess something up, or the tile guys are going to ding that. Or, you know, if we paint it and then you put the new countertop on, the mm-hmm. overlap's going to be different. And now they're going to have to come back and touch up and stuff. And so I prefer to go towards the end of the process, usually. Well, we've
1: talked about that before, the order of decorating even. People always start with choosing paint colors, and mm-hmm. really that's the last thing that you should be looking at. All these other finishes need to happen first. And I, yeah, that's perfect.
2: Yeah, and the paint can kind of tie it all together.
3: Exactly.
1: Hopefully.
2: All oh. right, so the very first thing I need to do is kind of get my brain around... The hardware, what, if I'm going to use the old ones or if I'm going to change to something new, because you need to know how yep, it lays out. So we out. know
3: whether to fill it up or not.
2: And then I want to make sure that, you know, in the scheme of things, I'm not bringing you in first. Yep. I'm bringing you in last. Yep. And now, because we've gone so long on that open talk about trades, mm-hmm. we're going to need to take a break. Yeah. Can you hold with us? Yeah, definitely. All right. We're going to play some commercials. Haley will whip up something right you've got some cookies something like that i
1: always actually make you do i that. do have a box of cookies but i did not make them well
2: but we have a we have two boxes of cookies one a mouse has gotten to help people I, that i have to we're not gonna feed him that one or are we we'll find out in just a minute stick around
0: If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco like Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM.
2: And we're back, and we are still in the studio with Dean Veltman from Veltman Painting. Dean, thanks for hanging out with us over the break. Glad to be here. And you didn't run away because we didn't serve you mouse-eating mouse cookies, did we? I appreciate that greatly. <laughs> Haley was so mad that I brought up the mouse, but we have traps everywhere. Yeah. And, Dean, you saw the <laughs> traps. I needed to address that situation. Mice are frustrating. We work in a warehouse, or that's where our studio is, yeah. so... Part of the whole deal. It is. Anyway, Dean Veltman from Veltman Painting. We've been talking about kitchen cabinets and getting, you know, getting them repainted, refinish that whole process. And we started last segment just talking about, you know, from my point of view, you know, hypothetically, I'm going to hire you to come in and do them. What do I need to do? First thing you told me is something I never would have done or hardware. thought about is, yeah, yeah, figure out which hardware I'm going to use. If I'm going to stick with the old or if I'm going to make a transition to something new. The next thing you said is that you like to be last on the job, really, not, yep. you know, you you want to come in behind the countertop people, the tile people. Yep. And yep. why was that again?
3: Um, usually I find that either, say you put on a new countertop after we're done painting, but the old one was still on, they often will overlap in a different way. And so then you have to come back and touch up afterwards. Or sometimes the tile guys get grout on the new cabinets or, you know, something drops and chips it. So I just like to be the last guy there just so that you don't have to have touch ups down the road. It just seems to work. Best,
2: usually.
1: Yeah, you're the finishing touch guy. Yes. Come in and make everything look pretty.
2: All right. So we get all of that lined up. You know, I got you figured out, you know, time-wise, everything's Mm going to be right. What's the next step of this process?
3: It's, It's helpful... Some people depending on the house and what's in their kitchen cabinet, you know, like oh, do we have to move everything out? And right. even though we typically don't paint the inside, we face it off. It is best to empty it. Sometimes, you know, we'll drape plastic over it just to keep the dust off or and this and that. And if the doors aren't if the drawers aren't crammed too full of stuff, <laughs> we try to just pull the drawer fronts off and then sometimes the drawers can stay with the stuff in. It just depends how much you can get at it. But then you run into, two: are the drawer fronts actually removable? Are they glued on? Are they screwed on? Or are they nailed in place? You know, so sometimes, you know, you have to adjust on that, too. But Do
2: you come out ahead of time? I mean, when you're scoping out the kitchen for the estimate, do you yeah. come out on site to do that estimate? Or yeah, we you... come
3: out on site for the estimate and stuff. And so we go over that kind of stuff. And, I mean, usually I forget to check are the drawer fronts removable or not. You just, you know, and you just kind of roll with that as sure. it happens. It's something I need to remember to check every time. But, you know, you don't like rifling through all the drawers and trying yeah, exactly. to do this and that Let during me the estimate. You know, so it kind of just, you know, you just kind of hope they are and go from there. But it's one of those things I should look at more closely.
2: All right. So, so you'll get all that going. Now, do you paint on site? Do you haul everything away okay. and do it in a shop? Yep. How does that part work? The answer is yes. Okay,
1: to both.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the portion on site we do by hand. So we do that on site, the outer portion of the boxes, and uh, but we take the drawer fronts and the doors to our shop and we spray them there. And that you know, and usually you know, the vast majority of your kitchen, it's the doors and the drawer fronts. So the you know the, that are the most visible and right. probably eighty percent of the surface of the kitchen typically. You know, so you get the nice sprayed finish on that, and then you can. Uh, you know, and the, with the with microfibers nowadays, you can get a really nice finish still on the hand applied portion as well. I mean, it's not quite the same as sprayed, but it's
2: still you can get a really nice finish. Microfiber roller covers, they yeah will do an amazing job
1: yep, with, with the finish
2: there. And what product are you spraying on? <sighs> That's something we
3: we switch periodically as new stuff comes out. Right now, we're kind of on the Scuffex satin kick that a lot of guys are on for that. Definitely. Um, It's one of the few – we've used a lot of cabinet coat before that, but I feel like Scuff-X is a little bit more resistant to marring. We found cabinet coat that when you like hit your wedding ring on cabinets or something like – or a belt buckle, it leaves that gray mark. For some reason, cabinet coat – sometimes you could wash it off, but it would change the sheen where you did that more, Mm -hmm. and it just seemed particularly sensitive to that kind of marking we were finding. And Scuff-X being Scuff-X, it's particularly resistant to that, but it's a really hard finish. I mean, when you run your hand over it, it has that solvent feel to it almost that not a lot of water-based paints have traditionally been able to duplicate.
1: It's true. And it still really levels out well, too. I've been impressed with how well that brushes out. It really lays down. I didn't expect that necessarily because it wasn't built to be a cabinet paint, but it functions like one. It's amazing.
3: Definitely, I mean, Cabinet Coat overall is my. It's the only product I've ever used. Or if I want to hand apply it, spray it with an airless or an HVLP, I can use it out of the can, and it turns out great. But Scuffex is very close to that same level of. Yeah. No matter how you apply it, it it just turns out great. It's a really user friendly product.
2: All right. That, yeah, it absolutely something that's like like Haley said. That's the thing that's most interesting to me is that it was made for an entirely different purpose, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and somebody tried it at one point. There yeah. was that one person, right? That pioneer blazing a new trail, and yeah, it caught on like wildfire. Now, all right. So those are the products that you're using. What is the process? And I guess I'm thinking about prep work and stuff, what kind of stuff do you do to make sure we get the best results possible?
3: The first step always has to be after you remove the cabinet, you know, disassemble everything. Clean. Clean, clean, clean. Clean before you sand. You don't want to drive that grease in or spread it around or whatever might be contaminating the surface. We've been using crud cutter a lot for cleaning. We used to use Challenger, which is also a great product, so either one of those is good. Um, But those tend to be the two we've used the most over the years. And then sometimes you'll find an area that's just particularly stubborn for some reason so you might need to use like a little solvent alcohol or something like that here and there but typically crud cutter has been our go to lately but challenger is great as well um but so you get it cleaned up do your scuff sanding yeah then sand yep and then uh we sand with 180 um is in our first sand so we sand it all with 180 uh do two coats of primer we always do two especially to a lot of whites don't cover that great right, and i find sure. any time if we do two coats of primer, we can usually get it in two coats of finish for the hand-applied portion. And for the sprayed portion, we like to do two coats, too, because when you have your cabinet door stuff flat in the shop, it really helps fill up that oat grain a little bit more You know, that to get sense. two nice coats of primer on. It makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, that grain is always the part that people don't think about when yeah. they're painting those oat cabinets, especially when you're doing it yourself. You're just thinking, oh, it's going to be like brand new cabinets, super yep. smooth finish now that it's painted. And you don't really even see the grain until it's painted because yep. when it's wood grain, it just looks like wood, wood grain. grain. Yep. And now that it's painted, you can actually see that open grain. When you and it really doesn't... look at it
2: yep. from a yeah. distance, though, when you generally walk into the room, it kind of blends away. Yes. Yep. But yeah, like you're saying, when I get up to it, mm-hmm. when, I, when I examine it, it's right there. And then we do get some calls or people are a little bummed. Well, so that's
1: something you think about ahead of time, I think. If you understood that that was going to happen, I don't think people would actually have an issue with it, but it's unexpected, I think.
2: Right. And that's why it's really nice to talk about right now because it (laughs) will happen to some extent. Now, when you're doing it your process, though, you will eliminate a lot of it, minimize it. On the stuff you
3: spray, it is minimized. We've never done like a true grain filler and tried that to see if we can make it go away altogether. You know, I'm not sure how much that would add to the cost of a project, but it seems like it would be quite a bit. So we've never experimented with that. But we can minimize it on the sprayed stuff significantly, you know, by being able to do those two coats of primer where things laid flat.
2: Yeah. I definitely, that's the way to go. We've always talked about downplaying the idea of trying to do a grain filler Mm because the amount of work versus what you get out of it, probably not worth it. So that's the overall process. What about time and stuff? How much time am I going to have to just leave my kitchen sitting there?
3: For timeline, what we're looking at is the on-site portion is about three days typically. It depends on the size of your kitchen. Are you doing another color on the island or this or that? But sure. typically it's three days on-site. And then we have the cabinet doors and Drawer parts at our shop. And those typically will be like a week to 10 days later. It just kind of depends if I'm working at the stuff at the shop or my crew's doing the on site or is that running afterwards. But, and we also like that to sit for a while and cure. You know, if it's humid out, we like it to sit longer. um, You know, especially if it's a dark color. Humidity and dark colors has probably been our biggest problem for curing times. And that can really extend that process out.
1: Well, and it's so important too with cabinets because getting that full cure is going to make sure that paint is as hard as it needs to be to start being used in your kitchen again. I think it's hard to be patient as homeowners when you're mm-hmm. painting things ourselves to wait for things to go back to normal service. So it's almost nice that they're out of our homes. We can't even think about using them until they're fully cured. Oh,
2: I like that. One, you know, we're getting to the end here and I do have the cheapo question that I want to ask. The cheapo question. No, there's people like me and we're thinking about this stuff right now. We're thinking, hey. He talked about all that cleaning, all that sanding. That seems like time consuming stuff. Oh, I know you're gone. Yeah. What if I do that myself? How do you feel about that? And I know you have strong feelings (laughs) about this.
3: I do have strong feelings about that. Because that's such a critical step is the cleaning. You know, it's something that we would want to make sure we do because I don't want to assume that you guys cleaned everything and got it done perfectly Because that kind of sets the foundation. If the cleaning step's not done well, if there's a contamination issue, you know, it's really hard to fix. You know, the other thing, too, is let your contractor know what you've used to clean your cabinets, Mm too. Like, we haven't run into it, but I've heard that silicone dusting sprays can be a problem or Murphy's Oil Soap, you know, and stuff. So, you never know what people have used on their cabinets. So. Let them know because they might want to do extra cleaning or extra sanding and just really be looking out for problems because some of that stuff can be a nightmare, I guess, to correct if that stuff's been used.
2: Uh, I think that's all really good information. That's really all the time we've got. But, Dean, before we go, why don't you give the listeners – somebody to contact I mean what's the best way to get in touch with you if they've got questions maybe want to get on the schedule for next year sometime okay
3: probably the best thing to do is either you can go through my website which is veltmanpainting.com and there's a contact form there Um, and you can either email me or give me a phone call at 616-450-1110 that works too
2: Perfect. Awesome. Dean Veltman from Veltman Painting, thanks for hanging out with us, eating our mouse cookies <laughs> and all of that. Thank you.
3: Yep, Thank you for having me.
2: Now, all right. It's time for a break. And when we come back, we're going to be digging into the Old Farmer's Almanac and telling you why you need one. That's all just ahead.
0: Stick around. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost. On News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, Haley, the Farmer's Almanac, the old
2: Farmer's Almanac, that's something that you have made use of throughout the years.
1: Yeah. I love it. I think it's the first thing everyone should buy at the beginning of each new year.
2: Yeah. So you pitched the idea. It's the beginning of the new year. Yeah. This is the perfect topic. We need to talk about it. I thought it was crazy, but I humored you because yes, it's my like way. you do. <laughs> you know, I let the people get what they want. And it turned out it's really fun. You were right. Which is
1: what always happens. <laughs> I know.
2: It does. Anyway, so let's talk about it. The Old Farmer's Almanac. Um, and I guess let's start with the fact that what it is, yeah. it's not the first almanac that ever existed. There were plenty of others around.
1: Right, yeah. These date back to like the ancient Greeks and Egyptians. I mean, they've been around forever.
2: Right. And now many of us are familiar with Poor Richard's Almanac, which was made famous by Ben Franklin in the early to mid-1700s. But the old Farmer's Almanac, what we're talking about, was founded in 1792 by Robert B. Thomas, and it's the oldest continuously published periodical in the U.S.
1: Yeah, I mean, this came out when George Washington was president.
2: Right. The Think first, about that. First issue, George Washington is president. So- Oh cool. Really cool. Now all right, what is an almanac? And basically, that word almanac refers to a sky timetable or a calendar of the heavens.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, I, they seem a little folksy to us now. Mm-hmm. But but back in 1792, I mean, this would have been like having a smartphone. It's a portable device that gives you all of the information you're going to need.
2: Right. So so we've told people that it was a sky timetable or a calendar of the heavens, but it contained not just you know th- the locations of the stars yeah. and things like that. It contained all kinds of stuff. Health advice, weather predictions, of course, um, gardening advice. Jokes, recipes,
1: DIY projects. It was the internet. Yeah, exactly. Right? It had everything they needed to know.
2: Right. It's tagline. Actually, the Old Farmer's Almanac, the tagline on the publication still today is useful with a pleasant degree of humor. I like to, I like to think of us yeah. that way. Largely yeah. me. But you're kind of coming along in that okay. regard. Sure. I'm useful with <laughs> a pleasant degree of humor. But anyway, this thing had all kinds of stuff. Right. All kinds of information in it. But it was really well known for its long range forecasting. And this is really interesting to me. Robert B. Thomas, again, the founding Mm -hmm. editor of it, he used a forecasting method based on a theory that Galileo developed in the 17th century. And this forecasting formula took into account things like sunspot activity.
1: Tidal action of the moon, positions of the planets, and other factors. And it's closely guarded. I mean, this is a secret, secret. Right. Even today. Right.
2: Even today. They're still using this same formula, from what we understand. And they keep it in a lockbox in New Hampshire somewhere. And only a handful of people have ever seen... The formula, or even the paper that it's written on,
1: doesn't it make you want to see it?
2: Well, it does. <laughs> and honestly, the fact that they've hidden it has caused a little bit of angst well, in yeah. the scientific world.
1: Yeah, I was reading articles about you know the method of predictions, and some scientists were saying, "Well, th- this is just bogus." You know, their predictions claim to be eighty percent accurate, but really they're more like fifty percent accurate.
2: Those snooty scientists.
1: I think they're wrong. Yeah, really. I've looked at this so many times for accurate re- weather predictions. That are long range, you know, planning events, my wedding even. Uh-huh. I wanted to know whether there was gonna be snow on the ground. It was during winter, I wanted snow on the ground. And so I planned the date around the farmer's Almanac. I use that as my guide.
2: And so Haley is using that anecdotal evidence. Yes. To discount all of these other scientists. <laughs>
1: but also, I think that maybe they're just a little bit mad that they don't know exactly how they're doing this. Right.
2: Oh, so a little bit of sour grapes on top. Exactly. Of it. I like how you've judged an entire group <laughs> of people and come to a conclusion. But the whole thing, that part's interesting. And honestly, you know, you referenced that you used it for. It's long range forecasting mm-hmm. and it's accuracy. Yeah. And it's like we said, that is one of its things that it's most well known for. Right. It's been around for two hundred and thirty years. It's been fairly accurate.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, last year says that it was seventy-three percent accurate. 79% Seventy-nine percent. Seventy-nine. Or seventy so eight percent.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally they say they average at eighty percent. Now the scientists that you quoted said no, that's fifty. But anyway, regardless yeah. of that, we do have some other anecdotal evidence that may lend credence to its accuracy. I think so. And may challenge these scientists. (laughs) Anyway, we got a couple of stories. First off, the summer of no summer. And this all happened in 1815. Now, Robert Thomas, again, the founding editor, Mm -hmm. he's sick. He's in bed. He's got the flu. He's probably being tested for COVID, (laughs) most likely. But anyway, his publisher is banging on the door. He wants those weather forecasts, the weather predictions, so that they can go to print. Thomas shouts out, because he's sick of it. He doesn't want to give them the weather reports. He just wants to get better. Mm-hmm. So he shouts out, snow in June, frost in July. Now he hoped that outlandish prediction was going to get the publisher to just back off. Turns out really? the publisher goes to print with that. So they actually run a, run a copy. The 1816 edition says snow in June, frost in July. Well, when Robert Thomas wakes up, feels better, gets mm-hmm. over whatever he's dealing with, comes out of his bedroom, and he finds out what happened. He's horrified. Yeah. He's going to be a laughing stock. <laughs> right, so, exactly.
1: This is like ruined his credibility. Right.
2: He's running around the, the, the area trying to collect all the copies. That's how the story goes. And he gets many of them and burns them, trashes them, does whatever, but he doesn't get all of them. And in fact, he does become a laughing stock until Tambora. I'm not sure I'm saying that right. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've said it wrong. But it's a volcano in Indonesia and it erupts that year. So much ash is pumped into the sky that the sun is blocked out worldwide, causing a global cooling event. And the year 1816 goes down in history as the year without a summer. And the cooling, in fact, the fun part, according to the story, the (laughs) cooling was so intense that snow did fall in New Hampshire in June, and much of New England had frost and crop failures in July. And, of course, Robert B. Thomas being a true showman
1: and an (laughs) almanac man... Took credit. Well, of course, for being correct. I mean, how could you not? Yeah, that's really amazing. Imagine being a him, you yep. know, saying those words, having it go to print, trying to collect all of them, and then being right after all. That's of that. really
2: funny. And it's really cool. I, we don't know that that's technically a true story, but it is circulated and it's out there now. Another one that lends lends credibility to the whole: Hey, these guys get the the forecasting correct is a story about Abe Lincoln murder and, of course, the Farmer's Almanac. And this one took place in 1858. Lincoln's a lawyer in a murder trial. William Armstrong allegedly killed a man at midnight on August 29, 1857, and the witness, the principal witness of yeah. the prosecution, says he saw that murder from 150 feet away by the light of the moon. Liar. Well, Lincoln refers to the almanac and shows the jury and the judge that the moon was in fact in its first quarter at that time and it was riding low on the horizon to boot. There was no way he could have seen that crime. That man is a liar. Well, yeah. He was acquitted. The jury bought it because the almanac was considered accurate. It was considered accurate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I built that up and had nowhere to go.
1: Anyway. But that, I mean, really. Yeah. It saved lives. At least one. Yeah.
2: Hopefully <laughs> he deserved it. <laughs> we Hopefully. don't know for yeah. sure. But those are a couple of stories from history. I think. I have had one now in my hand for about five minutes, you know, and I think this is the perfect magazine. I haven't really had a lot of time to go through it, but I... I'm going to buy one every year from here on out.
1: I think they're really underrated. So
2: many cool, fun things. They're 8 bucks a copy. You can go pick one up anywhere. Right. And then, Haley, you mentioned there's a whole online component well, yeah, that's really Well, yeah, exactly. Cool. If
1: you're not going to purchase one, at least go check out their website because there's so much you can do with it. You wouldn't even believe it. I spend so much time on this website. It's got everything that's in the magazine, but it also has everything you could possibly need to know for gardening in the spring. What to plant, when to plant it, how to plant it, how to harvest it, how to eat it, fun facts facts about it. I mean, everything you could possibly want to know about every plant. It is
2: really cool. Definitely recommend it. RepcoLite Home Improvement Show, two thumbs up for the Old Farmer's Almanac. Yeah. 230 years in, we're on board. (laughs) Alright, that's all the time we've got. We're going to wrap it up. If you want to catch this one again, you can find it online at RepcoLite.com. Whatever you do today, make sure Paint's a part of it. The RepcoLite and Port City Paint stores are open until 3, waiting to help. I'm Dan Hanson. And
1: I'm Healy Johnson. Thanks for listening.